Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Larickia, and it's the 18th of May, 2022, as I record this intro. This week, we're flashing back to episode 125, the very first compilation episode I put together back in May of 2018, so four years ago. I gathered clips from 14 different episodes where I asked some version of this question, what has been one of the more challenging aspects for you on your unschooling journey? It is so interesting to hear a wide variety of different responses to the same question. Considering our challenges and peeling back all those layers can be so valuable. I hope you find this compilation inspiring as you reflect on your own experiences. There are so many wonderful insights in this episode, but I thought I'd highlight this one from Teresa Graham-Brett. She said, What has been and continues to be most valuable for me personally has been the ways in which it healed me from the experiences that I had in my own childhood. This unschooling journey has been so much more about my journey. I don't want to diminish, of course, the impact on the child and the world that we create, but it's in that belief that we all can be whole. We return to wholeness as adults and we create a space for them to remain whole to the greatest extent possible. So many of us soon discover that the initial season of de-schooling is much more about us than it is about our kids. We have so many childhood experiences to process and many cultural ideas we've absorbed over the years to sift through and see if they truly do make sense to us. That can definitely be a surprising twist as we first dive into our unschooling journey. And I love how she describes the essence of the journey for adults and children alike, wholeness, a belief that we can all be whole. That as adults on our de-schooling and unschooling journey, we are encouraged to return to wholeness and to cultivate a loving and supportive space for our children to remain whole as much as possible. And that's an important point because striving per, for, for perfection is a whole nother challenge for us to unpack. And I think we'll leave that for another episode. <laughs> But before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support is instrumental in keeping the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash exploring unschooling. Now, let's get to the episode. And remember, you're welcome to leave a comment on the episode post on my website or on YouTube if you'd like to continue the conversation. This is from episode number nine with Amy Childs. Um, I was curious about what you might have found um, some of the more challenging aspects for you on your journey mm-hmm. to unschooling. Mm. Well, I, my, my quick answer when people ask me, like when people would hear that I was unschooling and they didn't know what that meant and they were thinking that it meant something like school at home, they would think, mm-hmm. oh, that sounds so hard because I can't control my kids or I, they won't do anything I say or because I can't, I don't even know algebra, I can't teach them algebra. And as people start to realize, oh, I don't do that, oh, I don't do that, I don't do that, then they start to think, oh, well, it must be really easy if you don't have to do that <laughs> and you don't have to do that. I was like, well, it's not actually easy either. It's just a whole <laughs> different kind of hard that you might not be thinking about and the hardest thing for me was having a dirty house for 15 years (laughs) and I'm not I mean that's sort of a funny answer but it's also really emblematic of something that I think a lot of people struggle with this kind of they think that they can have sort of a life where a schooling kind of life and have an unschooling life at the same time and it just doesn't mm-hmm. you do have to give up kind of this idea of control and how what a house is supposed to look and how a family is supposed to look and how a day is supposed to look you just have to keep giving up control over that and learning that life is a lot more 
slapdash in a way. I mean, like, it's over here, it's over there. And actually, that's the second thing I always say is the hardest, second hardest thing about homeschooling or unschooling was driving three kids in three different directions all the time. And it, it, again, that just shows how much time and effort and attention it takes. It's a shorthand way of saying, well, you as a parent, you need to turn your inside, your whole life inside out. You need to focus on what your kids need instead of what you want or what you pictured life was going to be like. And that's what I do with, with clients. I have a lot of clients who are not unschoolers, but often I'll have a, an unschooler call me because, oh, I'm unschooling and I thought it was going to be so much fun and it's not really like, well, how am I going to get my kids to ever clean up? And it's like, well, actually the way it's going to be fun is if you never, if you let go of that <laughs> idea of what fun is or what a, a house is supposed to look like. That's going to be a way faster way to have fun than it is to try and figure out how to get your kids to make your house look the way you thought it should look. Um, that's the kind of stuff that was hard for me was just reorienting my expectations toward something that um, is much more focused on my kids happiness and less on what other people think or what I think in my more judgmental, less open moments. This is from episode number 18 with Jennifer McGrail. What has been one of the more challenging aspects of your unschooling journey so far? So for me, um, I, I think it's been figuring out where my own self-care fits in. Um, I tend to be an all-or-nothing personality, so it's. I figured early on that it was very easy for me to make it all about the kids all the time, um, which, you know, a certain amount of that um, you need to do to unschool well, but I had to realize that if I, if I burnt myself out, that I wasn't any good to my kids or myself. So I had to figure out where I fit in, in the whole, in the whole of unschooling and how I could take care of myself and also be there and be there fully present for the kids. Yeah, that's a great point. I I remember, you know, struggling with that too. Well, and that's something that changes with time as well, right? You know, the, um, yeah, the things you find that that re, uh, re-energize, that's probably a good word, that, that re-energize uh, you, change over time, and then and also as they grow. Because, you know, when they're younger, obviously, and they need more hands-on help, you, that your moments for re-energizing, um, I spend a lot of time trying to figure out ways I could do it while I was still with them, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, you know, finding if it was for me at the time, just a, a cup of tea while they were doing things or, you know, a little bit more quiet activity or just going out for a walk. So they, they're looking at their things and I'm looking at my things, you know, seeing the gardens and, and that kind of stuff and how that changes over time. But it, it is an important part because if we don't put our needs into the mix, we don't part of learning out how to all live together that's a really big piece of it, isn't it? It is. And um, there seems to be sort of a, a push by society almost like it's important for you to get away from your kids. Like people, my oldest was still just a baby and people were like offering to babysit. Oh, you should, guys should go out. You should go away for a weekend. You should. And it wasn't that I wanted to get away from my kids. I wanted to learn how to, like you said, take time for yourself and still be present for your kids. Exactly. I can't remember how many times I was asked, oh, well, I'll look after the kids. You go, you guys go do this. It's like, no, but that's not what I want either. <laughs> right. It's hard. It's a, it's a balance. And I noticed for me, um, something that was huge was that um, my kids are all about three and a half years apart. So once I had a toddler um, that was getting a little more independent, then all of a sudden I I was pregnant and then I had another new infant who needed me so Uh, much. And so for many, many years it was that way. Then once my, my daughter who was our last child reached toddlerhood, I I started to have like a, almost like an identity crisis because I thought, wait a minute, I'm not having another baby and she's getting more independent. I almost felt like I had lost myself. I had to refine the things that, that made me happy just for me. So it was a whole new, um, you know, I had to think, did I used to have hobbies? And <laughs> so, um, 
yeah, I, it, it was, it was kind of a big, um, growth period trying to remember what I used to do outside of kids, even things I could do beside the kids. Um, you know, my own hobbies and creative pursuits and, um, it's been good for the kids to, to, um, to see me doing my own things and getting joy from my own things. A lot of which I could share with them, you know, they could do art with me and they could do, you know, they love to bake with me. And, um, but yeah, it was definitely a period of figuring out where I fit in, into, into all of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, uh, I love, I love what, when you mentioned, um, sharing that with them because for them to see adults doing things that they like to do, continuing learning and everything that really, really hits home the whole idea of lifelong learning, right? That this isn't something they're doing as kids and we're doing something else as adults. This is a way of living your life. Right. Absolutely. Um, uh, about, I guess about three years ago now, um, I went and got uh, certified to teach yoga and that was a big thing. That was when my daughter was getting older and I was going through my, ah, what do I do now? Um, yes. That was, a, <laughs> that was a big thing, I think, for them to see me um, devote time to something that I wanted to do in a way that, you know, something else that made me happy that was that was my own. And um, the kids did yoga with me and they came to a lot of my classes and it was it was fun. It was, a, um, like you said, it's a good thing for them to see you doing you know, pursuing your own things, definitely. Mm -hmm. This is from episode 22 with Lainey Liberty. What has been one of the more challenging aspects of your unschooling journey so far? We were about three years into our, um, our journey. And the biggest challenge that we came across was neural acupuncture. And his desire to be in community, he fell in love with the lifestyle that we were living. He was learning. We really um, sort of decompressed ourselves from the role of consumer. And that's, I mean, that's huge. We could talk about that. Um, but that's, you know, answering this question was almost a side note. Um we loved the lifestyle. We loved living minimally. We loved being present. We loved not having any plans. And we loved being outside of the United States. There was so much that we um, connected with from the uh, cultures and communities that we were visiting. But on the other hand, Mira was feeling isolated and lonely. So there was there was a... There was a conflict, you know, he really loved, he was committed to what we were doing, he was committed to this minimalist lifestyle, he was committed to all that we, we had built and created together, but he was also, on the other hand, feeling this sense of isolation and loneliness. So we head back, or went back, traveled back to the United States for a conference, an unschooling conference. And was, that was the very first time that we had met other unschoolers, although we had connected, I connected them online as I reached out to learn more about the lifestyle that we started to live. And, and I, I know I skipped a big chunk of, you know, how we realized we were unschoolers and what that meant to our lives. But you asked about the challenge. So at that point, we had already identified with being unschoolers and our lifestyle really meshed up with the philosophy surrounding radical unschooling. And we were very clear that we were on path doing this. So when we hit, headed back to the United States for this conference, um, Nero and I shared about our lives, and we received incredible support and response. But the difference was Nero hung out with other teens, and he ran around, and he sat down, you know, and he had these really meaningful connections with teens that were free-thinking, that were out of the box, that were non-judgmental, that 
really saw the world like he did, even though they were not traveling. And there was so much commonality. And that was the point where he said, you know, I found my, my people, I found my community, I, I, I know who I belong with, but I, you know, here's the conflict, I don't want to go back to a lifestyle without these people. So what we decided to do was, because we were so passionate about the way that we were learning, we decided to bring a group of teens to Peru where we were um, actually staying and loved and living and learning at the time. And in fact, we're back, we're, I'm speaking to you right now back from Cusco, Peru. And this has, this place has really become symbolic of our, our home and our spirit and our, our deep love of learning. So we started to organize a retreat to bring back a group of teams that we met at a particular conference and organized our first um, retreat. At the time, we were calling it Project, Project Unschool Peru. And it really described the spirit of the the feelings and the um, the what we were trying to do we were trying to create temporary communities here in a place that we were passionate about but it was foreign schoolers and Peru Cusco was our our main focus um, four years later it's it's really transformed into something else. And we've transformed who we are and how we identify our learning styles. And in fact, we call ourselves world schoolers now. That is really cool how you guys manage. Like how much brainstorming did it take um, like to come up with the idea of, you know, you wanted you wanted to keep your traveling lifestyle that you both really enjoyed and you found this community that Moreau really wanted to connect with. I mean, what a great idea to bring some of the community to you. Well, I have to tell you, Pam, it was really about taking care of my child's needs. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that was the main reason. We loved our life, but I had to solve a problem as, as parents, you know, create an opportunity to solve a problem or to create the circumstances that would help, you know, facilitate um solving a problem. Again, you know, as parents, we don't solve the problem. We just set up the circumstances. But mm -hmm. I was passionate about finding a way that would, you know, answer the problem we were having together because this was our problem. This is from episode 27 with Teresa Graham Brett. What has been one of the more challenging aspects for you on your unschooling journey so far? I think I talked a lot about that in some of the yeah. other questions, right? <laughs> because I think that, um, and this may answer our last question too, about what's most valuable. The most challenging and most valuable part of it was recognizing that I needed to change. <laughs> that the goal wasn't to change the children in my life so that I would be more comfortable, <laughs> It was to use the discomfort that they generated in me to do my own work. And what was most value, what has been and continues to be most valuable for me personally has been the way, the ways in which that healed me from the experiences I had in my own childhood, that this unschooling journey has been so much more about my journey but I don't want to diminish, of course, the impact on the child right? <laughs> and the world that we create. But it's in that belief that we all can be whole, that we return to wholeness as adults and we create a space for them to remain whole to the greatest extent possible. We're all going to experience some pain and some trauma. And it's not about you have a happy life that never experiences any of those things. That's that's not what I create for the children in my life because I don't control their environments. <laughs> I don't control the relationship they have with others, the ways in which someone you love might hurt you, you know, in, in those other relationships they have. But it's a journey of healing for me and, and parents, and then it is a, a, back to wholeness. And it's a journey of creating um, 
as much of a foundation of wholeness from which they then um, operate from of knowing themselves and knowing that they're enough and and they're going to question it because I see that now in Martel even he'll question am I am I good enough how am I going to make it in the world he asked me once recently mom how do you know I'm going to be okay without formal schooling and so we, it entered into this whole conversation about all the things that I see in him, about the resilience that he shows, the ways in which he learns, the ways he perseveres, all of the things that I see in his day-to-day life that maybe he didn't see in himself when he questions, he hears from others. How are you going to make it? You're, you're not even going to get a high school degree, you know, all yeah. that stuff. So. So um, that has been the most challenging part is my own work, facing my fears, facing what I hid away. And it's also been the most valuable for me personally. And the relationships that I feel like I have, the ways in which I've learned to be humble <laughs> and um, reconnect and, you know, own and be accountable for my own behaviors, but also, you know, um, come from a place of deep love for myself and then that love translates to them and you know it's just that's the journey I'm on I'm and I'm still on it I am nowhere near the end of all of that learning journey this is from episode 36 with Lauren Siever um what has been the hardest part of your unschooling journey so far this question I thought was so hard because I feel like we haven't had a lot of hardships with unschooling. Um, sometimes life can feel hard, but that's not because mm-hmm. of unschooling. <laughs> it's like, yep. um, and and we went from a lifestyle where River was in school for six hours, and I was working out of the home for nine hours, and then we'd come back home together at the end of the day, and it was like our we only had the worst of ourselves to give each other, and we're both grumpy yeah. and exhausted. And so going from that to a lifestyle where he's home so much more and I'm home so much more and we're together so much more and there's no pressure to do stuff he doesn't want to do and I'm working a job I love and I'm you know like we're both really fulfilled and happy um I feel like it's only made everything better um and easier and more wonderful and um I think sometimes parenting can feel really hard and living as a member of a family can feel hard um, but unschooling actually makes all of it easier and better. And um, so I didn't have a good answer. <laughs> this is from episode 41 with Jamie Maltman. What has been the most uh, challenging aspect of moving to unschooling for you? See, for me personally, I, I, I don't know that I really have an answer to that. Um, but within our family context, I know there's been a lot more um for, for Monica, the way that, uh, first of all, actually, when, when I first started learning more about unschooling and I started sharing that with my mom, she said, wow, I wish I had this information. I probably would have done this with you guys back in the early 80s. Whereas when we started talking about even the idea of homeschooling with her mom, they thought we were crazy because they come from, you know, very traditional. Actually, it's, it's interesting. Even there's another layer of context there. My, my wife's parents are both Chinese background lived in different countries in Southeast Asia and then came here for one year of high school and then university and then settled here ever since. So in, and they also came from very large families. So in their, in their situation, it was a privilege for your parents to be able to pay for you to go to school and not all of Mm -hmm. their siblings necessarily even got that chance. So with the fact that we have a free system here that, you know, worldwide is at least pretty good. And for us to opt out of that, but still pay for it through taxes <laughs> sounds completely crazy to them. So just, yeah. just on that sort of practical. And, and then of course it also means that we're going to need to spend a lot more time so we can't work. So then there'll be less money. So the, the practical aspect of it to them sounded nuts. Um, then her mom had all the different, you know, her mom was actually very, very worried that we were going to stunt their, you know, their intellectual development, that we're going to stunt their social development, all these different issues that she had. So, the toughest time for us was every September, as especially from the time where, because Alex and then his cousin Rex are the same year school-wise. So when Rex was first entering into junior kindergarten, 
that was a really stressful point for Monica because we're just getting, you know, there's a lot of back and forth that they're also not big readers of stuff in English. So they, they can, and obviously they're capable of it because they went to university here, but they just, that's not their preferred learning style. So it's not like we could send them articles to get them comfortable or, or that sort of thing. So it was just a lot of uncomfortable conversations, a lot of avoiding it, maybe spending a little bit less time with them through some of those times. But then it's, it's been proving that, just through life for them. And just as a really interesting sort of now that we've, you know, we're, I guess, how many, four years into this process now for, for that part of it. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we, we, we see them pretty much once a week with the cousins and Rex was sitting with his dad at one end of the table. And he's actually at a Montessori private school, but I, I, I'm putting air quotes around Montessori there because I know how Montessori method works and him having a lot of homework for grade two um, to be doing, you know, at basically he's doing homework every day, doesn't have any bearing on a Montessori method at all. It, it, and I, I, I see that happening a lot because parents are paying so much for it. They, they're for a private school that they want some of the, a lot more of the private school features and sort of the markers of private school success. Um, and the Montessori ended up just being saying that we're doing this a little differently, but not that differently, really. So he was doing some, they were, they were doing some homework and his dad was basically yelling at him to get him to stay there and keep doing this homework on Saturday afternoon for symmetry or, you know, some, something like that. Some really topic that could be interesting and simple, but when it's broken into a worksheet, he was having a horrible time. Everyone was embarrassed. And meanwhile, Alex sat down at the other end of the table and was doing a project writing out something for himself that he'd come up with and was just happily working away, writing a ton of stuff in his notebook. And I don't even remember what it was about. And the other, uh, so then the grandparents were freaked out by this sort of shying away from what had been happening at one end of the table. But then when they were asking Alex about it, they're saying, Oh, what are you doing? What are you working on? He started to get irritated that they were intruding into his work. So yeah. it's just, it could not have been more different. So to the point where he actually left the table, came to me kind of upset saying, you know what, I'm trying to work on my stuff, but everywhere I move, you know, my grandma was bugging me here. Then my grandpa was bugging me there. And my aunt was bugging me there. I don't even feel like working anymore. Yeah. So, you know, on one side, you needed this intense pressure to get anything done. And on the other side, the intrusion was messing it up and, and losing an opportunity for it because you're just trying to, I guess for them, they were trying to understand and trying to, see the value in it, whereas obviously he does. So just let him to it. That is a cool story. Yeah. It, it, when you're um, paying attention to that, you, you do see it uh, all over the place, don't you? Absolutely. And yeah, yeah. Well, and I guess the other, the other part to that too is the, because we've hit a bunch of major milestones, that's what really got Monica completely comfortable with things too, because it did, she was feeling still a lot of anxiety about some of these different things of, you know, is this going to be enough for them? Are they going to be able to do this? And because she was the primary one, we're, we were both around them a lot, but she was the primary one sort of focused on that at that point. She, you know, she had to build her confidence more. So the reading definitely was very helpful for her um, and, and connecting with some other parents. But as we saw, you know, once Alex started to read on his own, and, and I, again, I had complete confidence in it because I'd learned before I went to Montessori. So I knew that's completely possible. And I'd read so much about the theory of it and how they do it in Finland and all these different things about, you know, if you just provide access and stuff that they're interested in and read it to them as much as they want, eventually at their pace, which could be when they're three and it could be when they're nine or 10 or whatever, mm -hmm. it's going to happen. So again, that overconfidence almost that I'm coming from helped me a lot, but um, I guess uh, so we saw, you know, first Alex starting to read some letters and then the odd word and then s short sentences in context where he's interested. But and actually, we saw a ton of that through sort of tablet games that he was playing, where the functional reading of getting the response to, you know, for you to figure out what's going on on this screen in Plants vs. Zombies 2 and, you know, and just going a little bit further from that and seeing that picture and knowing that that means this, he put a lot of stuff together through that. And that's that's where a lot of, you know, a lot of his good learning on the reading side was happening. Even more so than all the, you know, it's, it's neat nowadays that they've got at the library, 
every single thing, kind of toy or video game or movie that kids would possibly be interested in, they have the little tie-in readers. So that's that's been great, I think, especially for boys. Um, they have all these Lego things or these Star Wars things or whatever um, available like that. But seeing him come through those phases to to reading and it really, like you hear in so many of the stories, it, it wasn't far from him being able to read a few sentences on a page that I'm reading with him, but then saying, you know what, I, that's enough for me. You can read the rest of it now to mm-hmm. now he's sitting down with these basher books and reading a chapter or two at a time about these more advanced science topics and, and getting everything. So it's that, you know, is really empowering, obviously for him, most of all, but you know, it, that's, that's the validation that really helps for parents. Um, same thing with swimming, uh, where we'd, I, I had a really negative experience with swimming lessons as a kid, but when she, or sorry, when, and whereas Monica went all the way through the swimming system to getting some of the higher, you know, swimming levels or whatever you call that. Cause I really yeah. didn't know how that works. Um, but I saw Alex, uh, we, I would take them swimming every week up here. And then when we'd go up to my parents' timeshare in the summer, they'd have access to the pool for the whole week. So we'd go once or sometimes twice a day. And I saw little by little, and I think it was not this year, but last year, towards the end of the week, he said, you know what, let me try this. I just want to try a little bit without water wings. And so he had gotten comfortable enough with the water himself. And then over the course of that last day or two, he was swimming just fine, you know, functionally. And and, and then soon he was getting back and forth across the pool. And now he's totally comfortable with swimming. So just two completely different things to, to follow on from the other stuff that you learn without having to be schooled in it, like walking and talking and everything mm-hmm. else that happens in your life, but just seeing a couple of those extensions that people are so fixated on teaching being required um, when obviously we know that it isn't, that's been really cool. So those are the, those are the two big ones. And now we're seeing you know, where Duncan's at and, and again, not comparing the two of them, just saying you know, we're now very curious where along the path that'll happen, both of those things will happen for him. So, uh, yeah, well. no, I think that's one of the reasons, um, you know, when people first come to unschooling and they're trying it out, I, I know a lot of us, and I do as well, talk about, um, you know, giving it that time, six months, a year, you know, try it out for a long enough period um, that you can see these developments, right? Because it's it's really e- I find it easy to um, develop that trust in unschooling when you give it enough time that you can look back and see something develop, like whether it's swimming, whether it's reading, whether it's whatever their you know their interest is, they are going to learn on the in those um, larger chunks of time. So if you're giving them that space and and all the support and hanging out with them, and you know what, I'm going to try this for a year and see how it goes. When you've got that bit longer period of time, you are going to see some really awesome things happen. It's just you know being able to um, to take that time at first when you're you're not quite sure what's going to happen. Yeah. And, and there's the other, the other side of that too, is we were just really lucky that we found the concept of unschooling on a website when Alex was maybe one year old. So mm-hmm. we were able to spend the next two, three years before he would have been at regular school age to work on our own de-schooling and read a lot of this stuff and just think about how that applied to just the way he was learning where nobody would be expecting school to be involved. Yeah. Um, and just get really comfortable with those concepts because the more, you know, not, not only is it the more school that you do, the more time you're going to have to work on that, but the more, well, both sides, right? The, the If your kids do go into school, there's going to be even more time that you're going to need to wait to really be able to see that see it, yourself yeah. and to give them yeah. the space and the comfort level that they're going to be able to do that. So mm-hmm. I just think we're really lucky, you know, if everyone that was ever going to be interested in this would look at it when their kids are born, that would be great. But obviously that usually doesn't happen because that would only usually happen if you come across some other friends of yours that probably were already doing it. Otherwise, you're going to have some experience with school probably along the way first. This is from episode 79 with Dan Cadzell. So I was wondering, what has been the most challenging aspect of moving to unschooling for you? Well, initially, you know, I felt really insecure about being a a man who takes on traditionally in our society 
of late, you know, uh, female roles. And, you know, I was, I was raised, you know, uh, a redneck kid in Ohio. Um, you know, singing and dancing was not, not something boys did. And, you know, I still can't carry a tone in the, like if I try to sing and, and I, I feel personally robbed from that, you know, but I still carry a lot of that baggage, um, that, uh, and so initially, you know, like walking into the grocery store with a kid in the grocery cart, kid in the snuggly, you know, um, uh-huh. people looking at you because, uh, I don't know, it seemed to me that when I started doing it, there weren't a lot of other dads around doing it. And, um, and I would see people look at me and sometimes they'd have concerned looks on it, on their face and you feel like they're judging you, but you know, but I, I quickly realized a lot of those people were just like, they were actually trying to be supportive, you know, like, um, and, and they would say things like, uh, oh, you've got your hands full. It's like, well, mm-hmm. boy, great job, you know, and it's like when they start talking to you instead of just looking at you, you start realizing, wow, they actually think it's great. They admire it, you know, and 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 after a while, <clears throat> you know, I, I find the older I get, the less I care about what other people think and uh, you know you get more confidence in all your actions and stuff like that so um you know that was an early challenge uh, worrying about stuff like that this is brown episode 88 with jenny gomes um so what has been the hardest part of your unschooling journey so far uh, so the internal work I had mm-hmm. to do was has definitely been the hardest part of my journey. And then finding a balance, because I feel like I teeter-tottered for a while, like on a roller coaster, sort of going back and forth between two extremes, like giving more than I could to my kids, then feeling justified and taking it back. And then mm-hmm. I always felt like I had to be doing it right. And if I made a mistake, if I got angry or frustrated, I'd, I'd get discouraged and I'd feel like I was messing everything up. It was like a vicious cycle, you know? Mm-hmm. And for a little while, I just... I, until it happened that was it was like that until I found some stable ground and it, I find that I do still teeter-totter but like it's not as like high points and they're not as low like it's mm-hmm. it's sort of like it's not as as mountainous I guess as it would have been yeah yeah <laughs> like, if I can describe it that way I don't know but that's what it feels like now it feels like I'm finding a little bit more of a balance I got we're in a little bit more of a group and I'm not gonna lie it really helps that they're getting older mm-hmm. because reasoning with my eight-year-old is so much easier than reasoning with my two-year-old and not just is just like common sense yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right like and it's yeah. funny because I'll often talk to people and um and I think people just forget like the toddler years like people forget mm-hmm. childbirth pain you know you forget yeah. how hard it is to give birth until like you're in the moment again and then you forget yeah. how painful it was and that's how the toddler years are like it can be really gruesome sometimes trying to you know like <laughs> just mm-hmm. re- re- reason with a two-year-old um and you want to respect them and be you know but it can be it can be challenging so it definitely helps that as they're starting to get older that i can they're, they're open to more reasoning especially my my eight-year-old like it's amazing how much she's grown in the last three years and the and how she's through being being radically unschooled um Mm -hmm. oh my gosh it's incredible you know my mom sometimes she'll say well she watched them recently for a day and she's like you know madeline really she should be in school she should be reading she was um she didn't pick a wrapper up off the floor. <laughs> and I said to her, really? I said, well, she cleaned out my entire fridge yesterday. <laughs> you know, she's just one of those kids that's like, mom, I think we should clean out the fridge today. She literally took everything out of the fridge, wiped the entire thing down and put everything back. And I was like, okay, sure. I'll help you. <laughs> but she didn't pick the wrapper up off the floor, you know? So it's funny, like watching them, watching things like this and paying attention to them is just, it's, it's, it's gasoline for me. Like it adds fuel to my my Mm -hmm. passion for, for unschooling. Um, so yeah, it definitely helps as they're, as they're getting older. And then a funny thing happened too, because as I began to radically accept them, I love that term, by the way, radically Mm -hmm. accepting your children. Um, I also started to radically accept myself and my partner. And so that I was able to be more gentle with myself too. And then when 
things did happen, um, I would be kinder to myself about it almost, right? Like I didn't have uh-huh. to, I didn't have to follow through on continuing to be grumpy. I had the tools to be that I needed in order to be kind to myself and realize what is it about what I'm feeling right now? What ha- might've happened? Did I, do I need to go and take a walk? Maybe I didn't have my cup of coffee this morning. You know, maybe I need to eat something, you know, there's gotta be a reason why I'm feeling this way. I'm not a mean person, you know, I'm not usually grumpy. So I just, I began to radically accept myself and my faults and then my husband's too. So I wasn't so hard on him all as well. And that really, really helped us too. This is from episode 89 with Jan Hunt. What did you find to be the most challenging aspect of unschooling? <laughs> My, Jason, I had Jason read the questions to me uh-huh. um, a few days ago. And he, he got to that one, and I just laughed. <laughs> My mother. My mother. And that, <laughs> because she was the exact opposite. She believed 100% in schools. And, I mean, she was a very, very old school. Um, she... We, we, we have a funny um, generation gap in our family because my mom turned 40 um, when she had me and I turned 38 when I had Jason. So she's from a very much earlier uh, era mm-hmm. um, where school was never questioned. Yeah. And, and so, so um, all of the attachment parenting things we were doing, um, and, you know, child-led weaning and co-sleeping, and unschooling were very, very hard for her to grasp. And she was really worried, genuinely worried, because she was, that's not how she was raised. She was raised the exact opposite. Um, and so, so she had to, she, um, it, it took a long time for her to come to um, accept the fact that we were doing all these things. And, um, but in, it's funny, um, I was, I, I joked once that when my book, The Natural Child, I really should have dedicated it to her mm-hmm. because a lot of those articles were actually long letters that I wrote to her, uh, to explain what we were doing and why. Well, that's interesting. Cause I was going to ask, so what <laughs> did you do? <laughs> we were 2,000 miles, you know, we were 3,000 miles apart and, uh-huh. uh, and so I couldn't pick up the phone, but I would write these long letters, and, and a number of those letters became articles. So, um, so really, she did me a great um, service um, because her skepticism and her um, judgment, um, you know, that really triggered a lot of, um, it, it forced me to really think about what I'm doing and, and why and try to explain it to someone who didn't get it um, was really actually very helpful to me that way. And then what happened is by the time Jason was, I'd say three or four, um, a lot of her criticism died down because she could see the proof was in the pudding. Mm -hmm. She could see what a sweet, wonderful kid he was. He was always wanting to help her, always wanting to, you know, so always smiling and obviously very bright and you know, so so it was the proof is in the pudding. There, you, there you go. There, there he is, mom. What do you think? You know, did we do the right thing or not? You know, mm-hmm. so so she she never admitted that, but she but it was clear from from the fact that her criticisms, you know, became less and less over the years. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and finally, I think they were probably very minimal by the time he was like ten. This is from episode one hundred and one with Heather Lake. So I was wondering what's been the hardest part of your unschooling journey so far, do you think? Well, you know, the the de-schooling process was very interesting to me. And and obviously in a, in a lot of ways we're still de-schooling and, and still working through that. And I, I think, I you know, Gavin... I felt like he was going to require a lot of de-schooling because I felt like emotionally he had gone through the most, you know, school was exhausting for him because, you know, he didn't enjoy it and he was engaged in it. And, you know, the way that his teachers had talked to him and communicated with him, I felt like he was going to require a long time to just 
hang out and chill and kind of like emotionally recover from that whole experience. But what I found was, I think like literally like the first day he <laughs> he wasn't in school, <laughs> he just took off. Like he just required very little de-schooling. He just jumped off into his, you know, what he was already so interested in. And it was just kind of like, you told that kid, you don't, you're not going to school anymore. And he's like, awesome. You know, and he was just off to the races, just learning a lot. I mean, he did have some, uh, you know, things that we had to kind of talk through and work through, but, but really his de-schooling process was, was much less. And it was really my, my 13 year old, um, who really needed a, a long period of de-schooling, she had really embraced school. You know, she was good at jumping through all the hoops. She was more like me, you know, much more conventional thinker. And so she was really the one who, you know, I just, I didn't anticipate, I guess I thought of de-schooling more from an emotional standpoint. And she was, she was the one that really, she's really just coming out of kind of an active de-schooling process. So she just kind of struggled in the beginning with uh, wanting to learn subjects. And, you know, I, to me, I would say, I would think, oh, you're, you'll be so excited. We don't have to do that anymore. But for her, that was kind of confusing. And it just mm-hmm. took a long time for her to kind of understand that whatever she's interested in is as important as any of those school subjects. So it took her a long time to embrace it and to really start to trust herself. And, you know, I think like she loves making slime and I think she didn't hold, you know, a value to that. Like to her, that's just, you know, just something she's doing, you know, it's just a fun thing. Something fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And she didn't realize like that's as valuable as anything else. You know, if that's important to you, then that's great. You know, keep working on that. And, and she's had a lot of learning that she's gotten, you know, through things like that, but it just took her a long time to really trust herself. Because I think when you buy into school, you know, someone's constantly telling you, you're supposed to learn this, and you're supposed to learn this. And she really just embraced that. And so it took her a really long time to kind of understand that someone, you know, no one, I'm not going to bring her a list of things she's supposed to know, you know, the school, you know, she's not in school, so they're not going to give her a list. So, and it's really up to her to figure out what's important to her and what she values. And that just took a really long time. I think it was hard for her too, because, you know, her older brother has such a specific interest and hers are kind of more general, which is, you know, totally age appropriate uh, for her. I kept telling her, you know, you don't have to figure out your life's path, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that just, you know, that just took a while. And I mean, even just a few months ago, she was, I think kind of feeling a little confused or wasn't sure you know, where to put her energy. So we were just, you know, having a heart to heart about that and just trying to talk through that. And I just said, what do you really want to do? And the first thing she said was travel. And then she said, but I know I can't do that. And I said, well, why can't you, why can't you travel? (laughs) Like, well, I don't know. Can I travel? And I said, absolutely. And so I just saw this like light, you know, go on in her eyes And so she started researching different trips and different cities that she would be interested in going to. And, you know, we put her in charge of a budget. And so she's budgeting all these things. And she is just like, I could just see, you know, everything started to click in that moment. You know, I think she was limiting herself and what she thought that she could do. So she started budgeting and looking into to different things. And my sister actually lives in New York City. So she pretty quickly realized that if she could stay with somebody, you know, based on her budgeting, <laughs> yeah. if she could stay in someone's home, it would, you know, make for a much more affordable trip. So she uh, decided that she wanted to go to New York City and stay with my sister. So actually, in just like 
two or three weeks, she is going to be traveling to New York City and will be staying with my sister for five weeks for a really in-depth trip to New York City. And so she has just been reading books about like the history of New York and she helped book all her flights and she's in charge of her budget. And, and actually she, uh, she wanted to earn some spending money. So she's become like a mother's helper for some homeschooling moms in our area. And she's been taking care of kids and, and doing that all on her own. And she's raised all of her spending money. And so it's just been, you know, seeing her just dive into this has just been awesome. But it just took, you know, it took a while to get there. But, you know, now as a 13 year old, she gets to go to New York City for five weeks, you know, during the year and and get to see what it's like to live there. And, you know, she's we got her a subway map. So she's been studying the subway (laughs) map and, you know, my she'll get to, you know, be with someone who lives there and gets to kind of show her the the ins and outs of the city and so that's just been an amazing opportunity for her. But definitely that that de-schooling process just takes a while. So I would just encourage, you know, anyone who's new into it to just really, you know, embrace the the de-schooling process just to I mean it's your first really first opportunity to just let go of the control or expectations. This is from episode 102 with Rachel Rainbolt. So now that uh, you you found homeschooling and and you uh, started stepping closer and closer to unschooling, as you were going through that kind of de-schooling process, I was curious to know what you found to be kind of like the most challenging paradigm shift on that journey. Yeah, the de-schooling process was pretty intense for me. Like my husband and I both have graduate degrees and school from the way I was raised was very much tied into your it's like validation and it's your value and it's your self-worth and so it was definitely a big process for me to get out from under all of that baggage of control and power and competition and and trust was really the biggest piece for me um, for sure. When I, when I gave birth to my first, it took me a minute to, to shake out from under all that baggage and surrender fully to trusting my child and myself. And I found that it was the exact same thing with unschooling where that, that was kind of the last piece that clicked into place for me. Mm-hmm. And I knew in my mind, you know, in my ra- rational cognitive <laughs> centers <laughs> that, that, that trust was the way to go. And, and trust is like that intention that I held in all of my parenting and I would talk about it and how important it was. And having that click in in the schooling area and the education, you know, realm was the last piece to like fully 100 percent through and through click in place. I love that because that. I'm I'm just trying I'm thinking back to my journey as well. And yeah, when that that seems to be the last piece because it's like it's the biggest piece. It's that kind of hump where you can you can almost relax. It's like this deep breath that you didn't even know you were yes. holding, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. And it seems like you can say on the surface level, like I absolutely trust my children and I trust them to lead this journey. But then in the back of the mind of my mind, there were little thoughts like, Oh, Oh, but what about gaps? Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, Oh, but what about, you know, this, that, and the other. And when that like 100% of the trust finally clicked all the way, even to those like back corners of my mind, that's when everything really started to soar and feel amazing. And and be wonderful. Like I, I had to get through that last, I had to let go of those last like societal expectations and pressures and, and just let those last ones go. And then to be fully into trust with my kids. And then that's when things really started to blossom. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's, it's so true. I mean, that's the, the same experience that, that I've had and you, you don't, 
you can't really anticipate, can you, what it's going to be like at that point. It's just, wow, everything is is brighter yeah. and, and more full. And, and you know, I don't, I don't like to leave the mistaken impression that at that point it's easy all of a sudden, right? I mean, life is still right. life. But that trust helps you sink into each of those moments, doesn't it? Just so you can totally be there with them and processing. And, and it, it quiets all those questions that were usually flowing in the back of your mind, doesn't it? Yes. And if you are filling in all that space for them, then there's no room for them to fill it in for themselves. So, oh, you know, yeah. if, if you are occupying their time and telling them what things they are to focus on, then there's no room for them to grow into that space. And you both can't occupy it simultaneously. <laughs> so once you have fully surrendered to the trust, and there's all of a sudden all this space for them to blossom into and to fill in and to grow into and to take hold of. Um, and then there's just so much magic that comes from that. I love that image because, I mean, that that is such a beautiful way to describe it. I ne- hadn't thought of it that way because... Um, you are now, once you, you're fully trusting, you're able to really let them be that, that idea of space for them to fully be themselves. I love that because now, and it's not distant. Yeah. It's just like holding space. Like you're right there with them, but you're holding the space for them to grow and to fill in. This is from episode 105 with Nick Hess for you, um, was the most challenging aspect of moving to unschooling? You know, I think it would have to be family. Because uh, mm-hmm. me and my wife, were, she's pretty much, we're, we're always on the same page with a lot of things in life. But our, our family could have been pretty um, not supportive. It's like, oh, you guys are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like uh, a whole thing and I think that was a challenge because this you're constantly having to, like a Facebook post would just trigger somebody and it's like your cousin's daughter's a teacher and she wants to fight with you why <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I think it was that was like the biggest part and as the years go by just like when people try to ask me to go fight their unschooling fights I'm just like I'm over it if people get it they get it if they don't they don't and I can talk to them but so many people just like how dare you kids need school and it's like I'm at this point where I've seen it in my own lives. I see it in my children's lives. I see the incredible things my children do. I, it's just the family, just, it's hard because sometimes people are close to their family and it's just like the family at them every day. But it's just when you finally get over just not caring what they think anymore and just like, hey, we know what we're doing. At the end, you'll see our kids flourish and everything. And I think that's the whole point. It was just... But I think the family was probably the hardest, the most challenging aspect of of really of it all. I mean, the years ago when we started this all. So did you find yourself for a while um, when you were first starting um, kind of pulling away for a while because you found that it was conflicting? Like I know for us for, for a while that first year we uh, did, you know, less family occasions because they were so confrontational because it was new to them they felt they could change our mind and I was still learning and getting comfortable because I didn't have a uh, experience yet right I hadn't spent a year or two seeing my kids unschooling and knowing in my bones that this was awesome we were just trying it out so you know uh, that was one of the things that helped us did you find that as well well I think the biggest thing that really helped us is uh we moved from California and all our family, both sides of our families in California. Ah. And we moved to so basically we only seen them a couple times a year. So that daily thing besides the Facebook post mm. yeah. <laughs> that, that they were constantly, then this is finally moving away. This really being us and really being who we are. And my parents have always been supportive of it and they moved to Arizona with us and, uh, and it's yeah. just that whole support of of that with us, my wife, and us as a team, as as a family, I think helped. And that whole move really helped a lot where it wasn't every day, just the bombardment of it every day. 
This is from episode 106 with Kelly Callahan. Now that you've chosen this path and they didn't go back to school after Christmas, what did you find to be one of the bigger challenges as you were de-schooling? Um, I, I thought so much about this question this week and how I wanted to talk about it because, you know, despite the fact that it, it feels like it was this very natural thing for us to be, you know, there weren't big problems. Mm-hmm. Um, it has been really challenging <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, for different reasons. And, and so it's been fun kind of sorting through those threads and being like, because it's not, I can't just say there's been this one thing that's been challenging the whole time. You know, in the early years, it was kind of all the superficial things. And I think them to be superficial now, like screens, food, sleep, um, that were just kind of these topics. And some of that for me was, I know a lot of people I've heard say that like they started attachment parenting and they, that led them into unschooling because it seemed like this seamless transition. But actually for me, Something that was wound up in attachment parenting for me, which we did do, we co-slept, we breastfed on demand, we did all that stuff, was the way that it was married to a kind of natural parenting that has a fair amount of control in it, point of view. Like, yes, you're going to get, you know, you're going to feed your kid when they're hungry, but it's only going to be the foods that you choose, you know, and it's going to be natural, organic, mm-hmm no sugar, no, you know, all that stuff, Uh, which I mean, I've always been into kind of natural food and healthy living my whole life. So I think that's also a lot of it's me and what I was gravitated to, but you know, and also like the, the no screens and the Waldorf and the, and the wooden toys. And so a lot of that I had really absorbed quite deeply. And so peeling that apart was a big challenge. Um, And that's kind of what it's morphed into that I've realized is that really there's nothing about unschooling that's challenging. It's all about what you're attached to and how strong your attachments are and your ability to look at those. Um, So, I mean, not to be like super esoteric, but if you ever watch the Matrix where he goes to see the Oracle and he sees (laughs) the little boy bending the spoon and he says, it's not the spoon, it's only yourself that's bending. And I think that's how I feel about unschooling now. It's like, it's not, and I've heard you say this over and over when there's problems, like people like, it's not the unschooling. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I feel like that. Like the things that challenge me are never the unschooling. It's really because I'm super attached to something and being some way or some idea I had about it. You know, the idea I had about what it meant for my son to want to play video games all the time or, you know, what it meant when my daughter really, did want to be taking classes and kind of keep one foot in like structured learning world. Like when I really wanted to be like full scale in schooling. So the thing that makes it easier is when I take all of the things that I learned from listening to your podcast and the things that I read, which is, you know, giving space and seeing what's really needed and not trying to rush in and control it and trusting and, And then those things, you know, like that stuff is never about the thing. It's always about how you approach it. This is from episode 111 with Jan Fortune. I was wondering, what did you end up finding to be the most challenging aspect of moving to unschooling? I think at the beginning, it is that fear, that kind of nobody else is doing this. Um, Am I just lazy or stupid? Am I letting them down? am I going to miss some essential skill or fact that they need in life by kind of just, you know, winging it and doing it on the hoof. Um, But actually I think over time begin to realize that whatever model of of education you're using, something's going to get missed out. It doesn't matter how academic or rigorous it is. Nobody can cover every topic known to humanity. So you begin to relax and kind of think, actually, let's just develop skills, let's just develop a love of learning, Uh, let's just provide a rich environment with conversation and films and nature and books and art materials and, you know, whatever it is, and just take that pressure off ticking the box. Um, I think once we're over that initial thing, the biggest challenge probably became just keeping up with them, because four children with all of that enthusiasm, (laughs) like, you know, can I just kind of run with, keep running and keep running with this? And, and, and also, you know, parents have to find various ways of making a living. And 
holding body and soul together. So just that sheer juggling um, aspect. But again, all parents have that. You know, there isn't really an easy form of parenting. It's just the choices that we make. And, um, you know, I felt this was a good choice. But yeah, getting over the fear and not getting overwhelmed, I think, are the, the biggest challenges. I really love that. And and it turns out it comes to, like you were saying, all parents have this. It, it Unschooling yeah. challenges just are really life challenges, aren't they? Just Absolutely. living together. I, yeah. I mean, I can remember one day somebody saying to me after I'd spent a long time with one of my children um, negotiating a decision that they needed to make. And they said, well, why did you spend all that time? You could have just imposed, you know, you could have just solved that in five minutes, told them this is what you're going to do get on with it and I said well and when you do that with your children um what happens well they might have a tantrum they might, and so so you pour your emotional energy into an hour of a child being hurt and upset and feeling dismissed and you think that it's a bad idea for me to pour my energy into an hour of everybody winning it's like you're going to use the energy why not use it creatively um Instead of destructively, all parenting takes a lot of energy. And I think if you agree with your children together to use that well, you, you know, you, I think the benefits are fantastic. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the growing podcast archive. The conversations never go out of date. You can find more information about my books, the Living Joyfully Network online community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit online course at my website, livingjoyfully.ca.